Amen. Acts chapter 21, we're going to be looking again at verses 1 through 14 as we continue our study through the book of Acts. Now, 14 verses is a pretty good amount of, of verses, you know, to cover in the Bible. But, but sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. But the thing is, is that the Bible is what is being opened. The Bible is what is being read. And the Bible is what's being taught. And so that's why we're here this morning. And, and as we look at this journey that's continuing. I don't know if you've ever been on a circumvent, uh, circumvented route, so to speak, where you have taken the scenic route, you know, you've taken the long way of getting uh, to your ultimate destination uh, because of choices that you've made or uh, maybe, you know, mistakes that, that, you, uh, <laughs> that you committed or whatever it might be. Um, it's one of those things where I know in my life, I, I felt like I kind of went all over like this for periods uh, of my uh, of my life, where I, I would be over here, and then I felt like the Lord led me over this way, or maybe I had a setback here. But the thing that was absolutely amazing is that the journey continued. It didn't just end. And I feel like that's where the future and the hope that God gives us comes into a major playing way. Like it's a major player in that, in that regard. And that it, it, it encourages us to go the next day, to take the next step, to see what the Lord might have around the bend. Because even though we're walking on the paths of righteousness, we know that sometimes that leads through the valley of shadow and death and discouragement and things that, that the Lord may have even called us to do that were hard or that were painful. We see Paul now as he continues his journey, as he is preaching, as he is getting persecuted, as he is traveling from one place to the next, never knowing what lies ahead. We'll see something a little bit different this morning. In verse 1 of Acts 21, we see the journey continues for Paul, and it came to pass that when we had departed, this is Luke writing the book of Acts, who was a travel companion to Paul and their team. It says, when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, uh, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And finding a ship, verse 2, sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, landed at Tyre, for there was a ship to unload her cargo. I feel it was almost like we would see, like on an airplane. And, uh, over to your left is the Grand Canyon. You see that over there? You know, or over on your right, you know, we see the Pacific Coast. Or, you know, he's given us this little, you know, uh, uh, geography of, of their trip. And, and it says in verse 4, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. There, landed at Tyre, found disciples. They sought out disciples of Jesus in that city. Uh, I always like, when I go on vacation... I always like going and, and looking at where I can go to church that Sunday that I'm on vacation. Uh, where's there a church that I can go to? Where can I connect with other people that are worshiping the Lord? Now, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to travel to different uh, parts of the, the state or, or the country or even the world. Travel outside this area, but... It's such an amazing bond that we have with Christ. Like this relationship that we have with Jesus is absolutely amazing. It's a type of bond that unites us with people that we've never even met before in places that we've never been. It's such an amazing thing how you can travel to different states or even different countries and find a built-in connection with Christians in those areas. It's one of the most fascinating things where you step into a place you've never been before amongst people you've never met and you feel at home. It's, it's, the, it's the craziest thing. Because, let's face it, going to another county, okay, listen to me carefully, going to another county in California 
can be like going to another state. Be like, am I still in California here? You know, going to another state can be going like uh, going <laughs> like going to another another country. Man, do I need a passport to be in this part of the country? You know, like that kind of thing. Totally foreign, totally different. And then going to another country is like going to another world. Uh, yep, this is the same planet that we live on. You've got to be kidding me. This is the most foreign place I've ever been to in my life. It says in Finding Disciples, verse 4, they had this immediate connection. I had the opportunity some years back to go to India. And the church in India is such a beautiful group of people. On my trip there, I saw and experienced things that were indescribable. The hardships, the living conditions, the, the, the disease, the malnutrition, the, the leprosy, the, the persecution. Yet in spite of all these things, the church was filled so much so with the love of Christ. I mean, I'm in the other side of the planet uh, amongst people that I don't speak their language. And the first time I met them, I uh, met them. I felt like I was family. Man, it, it was the weirdest thing. They were singing Christian songs in their language in Hindi, in Tamil. The same choruses, the same spirit. This connection that we have with Jesus connects us to countless numbers of others that are from all different walks of life and. No matter where we may find ourselves, you find disciples of Jesus and you'll find home. And that's such a cool thing. We find disciples or followers of Jesus and you will find yourself at home. And it's so cool how that works. That is the connection that we have with Jesus that connects us to all of his disciples. So whether you're in Florida, San Bernardino, India, Washington, Wherever you might be, you find the followers of Jesus and you'll find home. And they told Paul, it says in verse 4, this is the second half of verse 4, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, right here, when it says they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem, this is a very interesting thing that is happening here. Now, let me ask you this question rhetorically just for you to think about this. Have you ever had someone tell you that they had a word from God for you? Like, God is telling me that we're to be married. I know we just met, but I know that God is calling us. He's told me. Or, you know what? This craziest thing, God has revealed this to me, that you're to give me your car. God told me. Or I, I've had this revelation from the Lord where he's rolled back the curtain and he has shown me that you are to liquidate all of your portfolio and give me your money or whatever it might be. And you have these people, these crackpot type of statements that God told me this and God told me that. So much so that when somebody says, hey, God told me something, we're like, yeah, right, sure. Because this has been so abused, you know, oh, God told me I could cut in front of you in line or whatever it might be. We need to know how to personally discern what's of man and what's of God. The thing is, is that they told Paul through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse four. And they didn't tell Paul through the flesh. 
Meaning, they had something to gain from this. They told Paul, through the Spirit, that's the key. Let's take the woman, for instance, who tells a guy who is three times her younger that God's told her that they're to be together. To which he replies, well, God didn't tell me that. And it was quite awkward, actually, because I was there uh, when she said that to me. God didn't tell me that. God didn't show me that. But God told me. Well, God didn't tell me. But see, these Christians that told Paul, told in the Greek, actually means to exhort or to advise, which you'll never forget the Greek word for told, which is lego. So, just so you know. They weren't telling him something that God had not already revealed to him. Remember back in Acts 20, if you have your Bible, you can look there, but verses 22 and 23, Paul says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. The Lord had already revealed to Paul what was going on and what his plan for him would entail. These things are ahead of you, Paul, difficulties and trials. And and, and this would be technically what we would call in Christianese confirmation. When somebody tells you something outside of the situation, what God has already been revealing to you, an outside source who doesn't know what's happening. Like you've been praying and the Lord's been showing you you're to go to school in this place and study this kind of thing. And and somebody filled with the Holy Spirit that you trust and is reputable says, I know this might sound strange. I don't know if this means anything to you, but the Lord, I felt like the Lord was telling me that you're to go ahead and go forward with this decision that you're you're praying about making. And you're like, how did you know this? And, And this is called confirmation. This is called the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's revealing to you, he reveals to somebody else outside of that and then confirms what he was telling you. Now, regardless of who you may hear from or be influenced by, we need to personally, you need to personally hear from God, hear from the Lord. Because you can have well-intending, well-meaning people that will say, hey, you should do this, and you should do that, and I think you should do this, and, you know, try to maybe even get you to to rethink or or, or to change what you feel like you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, the Bible says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, and hopefully we consider the source when we're receiving input, and we're praying about those things and thinking about those things, but... How do other people influence us when we're making a decision and they say, the Lord revealed this to me, or the Lord told me this, or the Lord told me that? See, we need to know personally. Because you could have somebody saying, I think this is a really bad idea, but you know deep down in your heart that you need to be doing this because this is what God has called you to do. Then you need to do what God has called you to do. Regardless if they say the Lord said this or the Lord said that. Hopefully if you trust them and you know who they are, you consider that, you pray about that, you ask for wisdom. Lord, is this what you want me to do? But ultimately we need to know. And there's no better place to know what God's word or will is than to look in the Bible. The Bible. There are some people today that that say, man, I don't need to read the Bible because, you know, God just speaks directly to me. You know, when I'm out in nature, when I'm hiking, you know, God just kind of just tells me things and, and I don't need to open the Bible. Well, back in the day, the Quakers, you know, the oatmeal, the little guy with a hat, 
The Quakers broke away from the Puritans, the main group of the Puritans, because they believed that the Bible wasn't necessary, for God just spoke to them directly. This is a flaw. See, by knowing what the Bible says, you can check the things that others are saying and even the things that you're thinking and praying about against what the Bible has to say. You check it against the Word of God. What does the Bible say about this? For instance, you know, I've been really contemplating stealing this money because I need it. And you know what? I just feel like the Lord told me that if I take this money but then tithe 10% off the top to Him, then it's okay to steal. And then right there, you look at the Bible and you flip it and it says, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. You know, like that kind of thing. And then you think, oh, well, maybe stealing isn't from the Lord. Yes, simple analogy, but you take that concept and run with it. I'm thinking of doing something that contradicts the word of God. See, God doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't. He's not going to tell you something in his word and then tell you to do something completely opposite afterwards. There are not those inconsistencies with the Lord. So people will will feel like, man, maybe the Lord's calling me to, to do this or do that. Or maybe you're praying about something and somebody outside your circle or maybe somebody that's not aware of a situation will reveal something to you. You need to pray about it. You need to check it against what the Word of God says. Now... We have a really uh, a great uh, na- We have some really cool neighbors where we live, and there was one neighbor particularly that um, I didn't really talk to that much. Uh, you know, just kind of like passing like ships in the night, different schedules, that kind of thing. Um, and then one day I was out playing flag football. Well, not flag, two on touch football with all the boys uh, on my street. So Hudson and a bunch of the kids, they all just gather at our house. So I'm all time QB, and we're out there playing, and they're running their plays, and I'm like, okay, run up there and do a post, and then hey, you do button hook, come back. I'll hit you, and then you pass it. And we're doing all this stuff, and we're playing, and it's really competitive, and it's fun. And our neighbor pulls out of the street, and uh, we, uh, we have our house is kind of situated, so we share a driveway, and then there's like four houses that share like one main driveway. And so we're out on the street, and she pulls out to the end next door, and uh, she stands on the grass right by the street. And, and she looks like, and she's like, can I talk to you? And I said... Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm right in the middle of a game, so I thought it must have been important. I thought, oh, no, you know, was, you know, my kids, were my kids too loud, or did they throw something over the fence? Or, you know, was that, that kind of conversation I thought was about to happen. And, and she got really a little nervous, you know, rightfully so, but she just looked at me, and she said, I don't know um, what's going on with you, or, uh, you know, I don't know what this is, you know, what this even is going to mean to you. But I was having quiet time this morning, and I felt like God spoke to me. I was like, really? Rad. I said, sweet. What, 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 what is it? And, and, she, and she, she was there, and God bless her, man. She did it. Like she, she opened her mouth, and she said, I felt that the Lord told me. And I haven't had a, hardly a, a conversation with her at all. And she says, I felt like the Lord told me to tell you that it's in his strength. And she says, I don't know what that means, to you, but I felt like, you know, I, I don't really, have, she says, I've never really done anything like this, but I knew that I needed to tell you that God wanted you to know that it was in his strength. And I was like blown away because that day, earlier that day was the day that Ava took 10 steps walking by herself. Like that, like that was, it was unbelievable. And you know, my, my daughter who is like, 
uh, who, who has battled with her, her physical condition, that was the first time that she was like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and walked by herself. And then my neighbor was like, I want you to know that it is in, it's in his strength. That day also, I got off the phone with the improv guy, and he said, yes, let's do a Monday night at the improv. All in the same day. And it was the craziest thing for me because I, I, and I told her, I said, you know, my daughter just took 10 steps and some things that we were praying about and thinking all happened. And so my daughter takes 10 steps. The guy that I had gone back and forth with, great guy, Justin at the improv, you know, from, you know, just scheduling and busyness and all this kind of stuff, calls me that same day prior to that and says, let's do a Monday night at the improv. And then this gal comes out and she says, the Lord wants you to know that it's in his strength. I was like, amen. Wow. How cool is that? That's so amazing how God will work like that. So though God told me, quote unquote, can be abused and people can use it for selfish reasons or to get out of problems or, you know, God told me I was to leave work early today or whatever it might be. You know, we know that the Lord actually does work in those realms. Like, and he does do that thing. And because it's been abused, we can't throw that out. But we do need to know what the word of God says. And we do need to test everything. When we, ha- we hear something, someone says something, you know, that was, it was confirmation for us that, hey, it's in his strength. If the Lord opens up a door for us, then it's his strength. If my daughter begins to walk, it's because of his strength. And we held on to that. And it was absolutely amazing. So the Lord does work like that. In verse 5, when we had come to the end of those days with that group entire, those disciples, it says, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. Now, Paul is moving on and covering his journey with prayer. And just as a side note, prayer before the journey is a very, very important thing. If you don't pray for protection before you go on your trips, usually start doing it today. Okay, I'm not foreseeing any danger, you know, like the Lord's revealed to me that there's no listen driving out there. You don't have to have the Lord revealed to you that it's dangerous. It just is. So if you're going on trips, pray with your family, you get in the car, you know, you have kids say, hey, I need a volunteer. So we do in our car. Hey, I need a volunteer. Raise your hand. And then Hudson will go, you know, her in the pink. And then he'll, he'll, and he'll pretend that Ava's praying and say a prayer. You know, Lord, please protect us as we drive and blah, blah. And it's a great thing for us to do as, as Christians to pray for our trips, pray for our journey. Paul did it here. He's moving on. They kneel on the shore. They pray for his journey. And we should as well. In verse 6. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And we, when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Now, I put a little title over this passage uh, in Acts 21 over verses 6 through 9. I entitled it 20-Year Reunion. The reason for that is because it had been about 20 years since Paul and Philip had seen each other, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But before I do, let me ask you this question. Have you ever looked at somebody and thought to yourself, man, you have come a long way? Have you ever not seen somebody for a while and been like, 
whoa, what happened to you? I can't believe it. Or you saw somebody that was destroying their life and now, you know, they, they're holding a job and they're married and, they're, and they, they have a house and, and everything's going really well. And you're like, man, what a difference. We love that as a society. We love seeing people succeed. We like that. We have reality shows about it. You know, the biggest loser, you know, the biggest winner, or the most improved. You know, we, we uh, have the 10-year reunions, the 20-year reunions, the 30-year reunions, the 40- and 50-year reunions as well. But have you ever noticed how just a slight fluctuation of voice can change the meaning of one simple phrase? That simple phrase being, oh boy. Like, it can be like, oh boy, here we go. Like, whoa, oh boy. Or it could be like, oh boy, sweet, oh boy, whoa, awesome. You see somebody, you haven't seen them for a while, oh boy, wow. You see somebody you haven't seen for a while, oh, oh boy, you know, like that kind of thing, you know, like that. Well, here's Paul and here's Philip. See, 20 years earlier, Philip was one of the seven. Remember it said one of the seven, and and you should have immediately thought, the seven of what? He was one of the seven appointed by the church leaders in Acts chapter 6, and you can review that at some point if you like, to take care of practical needs of the church. But Philip, along with the Christians in Jerusalem, were run out of town by Paul, formerly known as Saul, as he threatened and acted to destroy the church. You can read about that in Acts chapter 8. So Philip left Jerusalem. He headed to Samaria. A huge work of God happened where people were getting saved. The gospel was being spread. He even, remember, was the guy that was sent out of that revival into the wilderness where he met an Ethiopian ruler and just happened to come across him when he was in his chariot reading from Isaiah And he explained the Bible to him and then baptized him. And many historians credit Philip with the spread of Christianity through Ethiopia. But we see Philip and now Paul reconnected. The guy that once tried to destroy the church, the guy that that was responsible for holding the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death, they're now reunited. Talk about a reunion. Talk about a reunion. You know, the, the guy that you didn't like that was the bully at your high school, now 20 years later, you're going to run into him again. You can't pick on me anymore. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, what kind of feelings would you have? What kind of things would be going on in your mind? I wonder what was happening here. Talk about the redeeming power of Jesus Christ and changing people who were once enemies and bringing them into that bond of fellowship, relationship. Even the things that were done personally, wrong, wrongfully against each other were, were, were removed and changed. And so as Paul and Philip reconnect, we see a little insight to Philip. It says, now Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Man, my how things change, huh? Everybody gets older. Everybody's growing up. At least most people are growing up. I remember when I told my pastor, uh, Pastor Chuck, that I was going to leave to plant a church. I feel like that was what God was calling me to do. My exact words were this. I said, Pastor Chuck, when I started here at Calvary, I was 24 years old, and I was single. 
Now I'm 33, I'm married, and I have two kids, and it's time for me to plant a church. My, how things change so quickly. From running all over the place and traveling and, and, and sleeping in hostels and going to dangerous areas and all of this kind of stuff. I am married, I have a family, and I'm in a different stage in life. Philip was married had four daughters who were on fire for the Lord. The Holy Spirit was upon them. They were prophesying. Now, let me ask you this question. And I'll need to see a show of hands because I'm very interested to hear, you know, or to see rather if you guys know about this. Have you, do you know what the expression a PK is? Does anybody know what a PK is? Wow. Okay. Now, a PK is short for a pastor's kid. A pastor's kid. Now, there have been pastors who have had kids that have not walked with the Lord. But often, there's a lot of pressure placed on pastors' children. Somehow people mistakenly think that if the pastor has a kid, then that kid has to be perfect like the pastor. Well, first of all, that's fallacious because the pastor's not perfect and nor are his children or anybody for that matter. So, we know that no one's perfect, and we all know that children are children. But unfortunately, in some models of pastoring and ministry, you should be aware of this, pastors neglected their children to help other children. And were so busy, quote-unquote, ministering to other families that they didn't have time for their own family. And that's wrong. And that's not the way that it's supposed to be. See, a pastor's first priority is his relationship with Jesus. That's his first priority. Secondly, a pastor's priority, number two, is his relationship with his wife. Thirdly, the pastor's priority is his relationship with his children. And then fourthly, is the church. Is the church. And as long as things stay in that order, everything will be fine. I have a son. I have a daughter. You know them. I love them so very much. I would die for them like any parent would. But they'll make mistakes because they're not perfect. Ruth and I are training our children in the way that they should go. So when they're old, they will not depart from it. And by God's grace, he will have that come to pass. But in order for that to work, they need their dad in their life. And that's me. See, we talk about, and people want to label people and say, hey, this and hey, that. But the thing is this, is that children are children. We're all born with a sinful nature. And pastors need to take care of their families. They need to take care of their families first. And so Philip had four daughters filled with the Holy Spirit. And I feel that that's more of an accomplishment than all that he did prior or that he would ever do after. To raise his children unto the Lord. I mean, because when we think about it, what if we have a gigantic church and all these people make professions of faith? Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. But then our own children walk away from Jesus because their dad was too busy helping them or their mom was too busy, you know, helping others, helping other people to, and and they couldn't help them. And I feel like this is something that we cannot overlook. This really spoke to me. To have four grown daughters that were on fire for the Lord is an amazing accomplishment. I want that for my family. I hope you want that for your family as well. 
We need to be there for our children. We need to train them up. We need to be there with them and work, you know, through mistakes and things. And that's part of growing. And so, I mean, we've all made our mistakes, man. We've all done things that are wrong. And so I feel like if we can stay focused as a ministry and also carrying a model, and maybe it needs, you know, to be carried out in other places as well, where a pastor's first priority is Jesus. His second priority is his wife. His third priority are his children. And the fourth priority is the church. Because if you try to move any of those out of order at all falls apart. And we don't want to see that happening. We don't want to see that happening. John, in his little epistle, the third one, chapter one, verse four, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And there is truly no greater joy than to know that your children walk in the truth. And so you go to a church where your pastor is concerned with his relationship with Jesus first and his relationship with his wife second, his relationship with his children thirdly, and then fourthly, anything else that comes out of that. And isn't that just like anything? Our personal lives will be uh, the, the core, and then anything that comes out of that is an extension of what's already supposed to be there in the personal aspects of that life. As we continue on, verse 10, this is where we ask, are you ready? And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come down to us, or he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and his feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So this is now twice that we read that bad things are waiting for Paul in Jerusalem. And this time, there were theatricalities involved, binding hands and feet. It'd be like if I came down and took your hat and put your hat on my head and said, he who wears this hat is going to be bound in Jerusalem. He's going to be hurt and persecuted. See, the Holy Spirit is revealing to his people that Paul is headed for danger. Now, if this were us, and we were there with Paul, and the Lord is obviously revealing through the Holy Spirit that there are bad things ahead, that there are dangers ahead, wouldn't we be inclined to say, hey, if the Lord is showing you, if the Lord is revealing to you that it's going to be dangerous, then why are you going? Right? I mean, if that was us, like, why? No, there's going to be dangers. They're going to be persecuting you. They're going to bind you. They're going to arrest you. They're going to try to hurt you. Why are you going if the Lord is showing you those things? And if you follow that line of reasoning, you would have to conclude that God never calls you to do things that may be dangerous. What? Right? God never calls us to do things that have troubles ahead, right? No, wrong. There are many things that God calls us to do that are extremely dangerous and could even lead to death. The reality is, is that if it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And if it's not your time to go, then there's not one thing in the world that's going to make it your time to go, regardless of the level of danger. But if we ask ourselves honestly, are we ready to go or Am I ready to go? What would be our response? I mean, I think of our service men and women risking their lives for their calling. I think of Victor Marks, you know, who is is one of the leaders in our our, our church who is doing black ops missions work in the Middle East, you know, helping people. 
I think of Saeed imprisoned in Iran. I think of Diedrich Bonhoeffer who died in a Nazi concentration camp. And he said, when Christ, and I quote Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's the same death every time. Death in Christ Jesus. The death of the old man at his call. End of quote. The Lord calls us to do things that can be unpleasant and can be dangerous. And he can even use people to reveal, hey, there are problems ahead. This is not going to be easy. They're going to try to do this to you. But see, what was already happening in Paul's life? We read it in Acts chapter 20. He says that the Holy Spirit has already shown me that I'm going to have these dangers and I'm going to have these persecutions. And then the Lord shows the other godly men and women in the church through the Holy Spirit. Hey, you know, this is what's happening. Paul is going to be facing difficulties and problems and trials. Our natural inclination would be, hey, if there's difficulties and problems and trials, then we shouldn't be going down there. That's not necessarily the case. That's not the way it actually is meant to be. How about when the Lord told Ananias to go down to the street called Straight to pray for a man named Saul from Tarsus who has been arresting Christians, killing Christians, and persecuting Christ. Pray for him to receive his sight. I think that would have been believed to be dangerous, believed to be uh, uncomfortable, believed to be taking a risk. You want me as a Christian to go and pray for the guy that's persecuting Christians? Paul was arresting them and killing Christians. The Lord told Ananias that Saul was his chosen vessel to bear his name before the Gentiles, before kings, before the children of Israel. And in Acts 9.16, the Lord told Ananias, I will show Paul how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffering was not something foreign to Paul. Danger was not something that was just out of the blue. No, it was a reality of his life. So what about for you and for me today? What what if the Lord's calling us to do something and it looks dangerous, it looks trying, it looks like we're going to be stretched, it looks difficult? Maybe other people are confirming that. Hey, that's trying. You're going to be stretched. That looks difficult. Is it for us to be like, no, I I don't think that's probably God's will for me because God only calls me to do things that are easy. God only calls me to do things that don't require a lot of work. God only requires me to do things that that, uh, uh, don't require me getting up before a certain time. God only requires me to do things where I have a lot of accolades and a lot of praise and a lot of people patting me on my shoulder saying what a good job I'm doing. God doesn't call me to go to desolate places. He doesn't call me to go to the places where there's opposition, where people don't like me and people don't want to hear what I have to say. He doesn't call me to go to places where there's resistance and persecution and where people just are quite frankly, blatantly against me. God doesn't call me to do those things. What are we thinking? What's our response? I feel that Because we live in the United States that we're accustomed to comfort and things that are just nice. I am. We all are. But then when you go head to head against the opposite of what you are and you find persecution, you find spiritual attack, you find people just because you're a Christian just don't like you. They liked you until they heard that you went to church or they liked you until they heard you were a pastor or they liked you until they heard you were a Christian. 
Nothing changed. You're the same nice person doing the same stuff. But the very fact that you're associated with Jesus changed everything. God's not going to call me to do things that require... No, God calls us to do things that are dangerous. He calls us to do things that require work and effort and dedication and commitment. He calls us to do things that may be uncomfortable. Quite frankly, they are uncomfortable. But we'll be sitting there in our seat and not want to move. Because what if I break a sweat or what if someone makes fun of me? And don't, don't get me wrong, and I know I sound like I'm going off on this, but listen, it's not like we have a sign-up list for who wants to be persecuted first. Oh, sign me right up, man. Get me on the top of that list. No. No. You need counseling, not an opportunity. No, it's like we don't ask for those kind of things. But I'm just hoping that maybe your view on life, maybe with what the Lord's calling you to do, or you feel something that's in your heart to be done, that you wouldn't be discouraged by something like difficulty. Or I'm going to have to do an extra this, or I'm going to have to do an extra that, or I'm going to have to be you know, here instead of there. Or, and, then, and then you will not do what God's called you to do because it means some sort of discomfort or some sort of changing of a schedule. Paul already knew that what he was doing was going to be dangerous. He already knew that it would cost him his life. He already knew that it would bring persecution. In verse 13, then Paul answered and said, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? They're like, no, Paul, don't go. Don't do it, man. No. Hey, Paul, no, man. Come on, man. You know what's headed. They're waiting for you. They're going to get you. And he's like, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I personally believe from verse 13 that Paul wasn't brokenhearted for the bad news. Oh, man. Bad stuff awaits me. I feel like he was rather concerned for the people who he cared about greatly. Seeing them upset about him made him upset. But he already knew what was ahead. And he was already determined. And furthermore, he says, I am ready. In the Greek, it's hitomos. And it means readily ready. Like I'm always ready. Not just ready at this moment, but I live my life readily available to not only be persecuted, to not only be bound, to not only be imprisoned, to not only be come against, but I am ready at any time to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul didn't have a death wish. The key to his statement is found in the last five words of verse 13. The last five. You can count them. Name of the Lord Jesus. This is the key to being ready to do what he was going to do. Let me ask you this question. Is the fear of difficulty deterring you from what God is calling you to do? Is the fear of difficulty deterring you from what God has called you to do? Conquer your fear and you will destroy a major weapon of your enemy. 
What if God said, I have given you this land, I have given you this opportunity, but we were so afraid of taking a step out that we didn't step into the promises that God had for us. We were, we were crippled, we were paralyzed by fear. What will people say? What will people do? What if it doesn't work? What if it flops? What if nobody comes? What if they don't listen? What if they don't like me? All of these what ifs and these things that are working in the elemental aspects of our hearts, the, the, the base nature of being concerned of what people think rather than what God thinks. What if this and what if that? Sometimes God does call us to do things that are trying and even dangerous. So though these other Christians were giving a correct message from the Lord via the Holy Spirit, their interpretation of that message came across as, don't go. Don't do this. Because I feel that that's a natural response. If there's danger, don't go. If it's going to be hard, don't do it. That is the way that we look for the path of least resistance. It's just, like I said, elemental in our nature. But following Christ isn't meant to be looking for the easy way out. It's meant to. It's, it, it, following Jesus is meant for us to work hard for him. To serve him with our entire lives. To be committed to him in everything that we are. And you know what? I believe that today that there are some of you here this morning that are going to have that breakthrough in your life where you're going to find out that, man, I'm wrestling with fear and it's fear that's holding me back from what God is calling me to do. This is why we need to know personally what we're supposed to do so that when we're questioned, asked to reconsider, or even told that we're crazy and we're making a mistake, that we are ready for what we know God is calling us to do. Are you ready? Do you know? Or are the outside voices influencing, discouraging, whatever it may be? We need to know. Paul already knew. He's like, I already know what's ahead of me. And yes, it's going to be dangerous. And I'm willing to go through that danger. I'm willing to put in that work. And I'm, really, I'm readily willing to make that sacrifice. Are we able to say that same thing? In verse 14, so when Paul could not be persuaded, because when you know that you know that you know, you know. It's something that's so deep inside where you're like, I just know I need to do this. I know this is what God wants me to do. And when he could not be persuaded, we ceased saying, or we ceased, rather, saying, the will of the Lord be done. Hey, we can't change Paul's mind, so then we just commit him to the Lord. The will of the Lord be done. And this should be the very thing that we should want for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That, number one, they be in the center of God's perfect will and fulfill what God has called them to do, regardless of the impending dangers that may or may not be there. We want to encourage people. Hey, man, that looks crazy. Hey, that looks difficult. But, you know, I got your back. I'm praying for you. May the Lord's will be done. If that's what you feel the Lord's will is for your life and that's what you feel like you're to be doing, it's not contradicting the Bible. Rather, the Bible substantiates what you're saying. You know, we we will support you in that. So the Lord's will be done. And I feel like we need more people that want to take a step out. 
We need more people who want to break free from the status quo and say, I want to make a difference. I don't want to be a follower. I want to be a leader. I want to make a change. I don't want to do things the same ho-hum way, every way, you know, the same way everybody else is doing things. I want to be used by God. I want to step out. But nobody's done it like that before, man. Nobody's done it like that. Then good. That's probably from the Lord. Something outside the box. I mean, God is our infinite creator. He's not limited by the inventions of man or the ideas of how to accomplish something. Is it outside the box? Is it a different way? Is it accomplishing what God's called you to accomplish? Then do it. Do it. Go for it. Don't be held back by fear. Don't be like the other spies that came back to Joshua and said, there's giants in the land. We can't take that. And then Caleb and Joshua, we can take those guys. Be like that. We can do this thing because the Lord's with us. I can do this. It doesn't matter how difficult it may be. There might be bullets flying all around my head. When it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And if not, then the Lord will keep me safe until it's my time to go. And we see this attitude in Paul as we close. And I'll read Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. It says, Paul speaking, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Man, none of these things move me. I am not moved. We had our study on that a few weeks back. But this is the attitude that we need to have. If you have opposition, it's probably because you're heading on the right path. If you feel like you're a target, it's probably because you're on target, as it's been said. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would be as Paul and be ready. And Lord, when that question went out, are you ready, Lord? It could have sparked a whole bunch of different thoughts. Am I ready for what? Am I ready? Or is it, Lord, the very thing that they needed to hear today, Lord, what we needed to hear? Am I ready to be used by you? Am I ready to get involved? Am I ready to serve? Am I ready to step out? Am I ready to take a step of faith and and do something that might be unprecedented or or be difficult or dangerous or, or different? And then even more so than that, Lord... Are we ready to meet you? Are we ready, Lord, to do what you've called us to do, even if it costs our lives? Lord, I hope that we'd all be able to say, yeah, that, I, I hope that I could do that. But Lord, I pray that by your grace, we would be able to do that. And Lord, I pray that this church and these people would be further equipped for the work of the ministry I pray that they'd be encouraged today, that they'd be bold, that they would be courageous. And Lord, as we continue to take steps of faith and move in new directions, Lord, that you would provide for us, that you would help us, that you would be what we need, Lord, wherever that may be and whatever that might look like. And Lord, I pray that we would leave here today, Lord, challenged. Leave here today, walking closer with you and attentive to your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would do these things and help us, Lord, to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.